Hi, and welcome back to the Fleet Navigator podcast. You're from Lease Plan, your go-to GPS guide for all fleet matters. I'm joined by the lovely Caroline Sandal this morning for an end-of-year review. Look back at 2019 and 2020. Morning, Caroline. How are you? Morning, Matt. I'm fabulous. Thank you. Good. So, clean air zones are a big thing in the UK. So, the London clean air zone is, is pretty well publicised now. And there's been a big shift uh, from being just a congestion charge to the T-charge zone to a much bigger congestion uh, charging zone now. And that is set to move again, 2021, all the way up to the outside of the M25. But it's not just London, is it? No, it's um, a number of targeted cities across, including where I'm from, Bristol, mm. which causes much amusement because to my friends I've known as CAS. So the headlines that says <laughs> Bristol CAS targets HGVs, I think it's a bit rude. I've got nothing against trucks, but there we go. It's again, it's yet another challenge that's facing the industry because when the government first published the air quality plan in 2017 and went to those targeted cities to say right you need to come up with a strategy I attended a few of those and listened to what everybody was saying and they all had quite distinctly different strategies and approaches and not so much leadership from central government so fleets were challenging and saying well this is this is great lots of good ideas but I've got a national fleet so I don't want to be thinking about having different charging zones in different cities that operate against different modes of vehicles with different charging points, different charging times, that's going to be hideous to manage. Are we any further forward? Well, not hugely, um, because some of those cities have published plans and then changed plans. Some of those cities have published target dates and then changed them. Birmingham being a Birmingham being a prime example. Some of those cities are in quite hefty argument with governments about what they are going to do. So as at today, we still don't have total clarity across all of those zones as to how this is going to work. So in terms of planning for fleets, this is a bit of a nightmare if you are regularly sending particularly diesel vehicles into those central zones. Um, and if you look at what Bristol is in planning to do mm. of an outright ban on diesel. Yeah, between nine and three. Nine and three, yeah. which, you know, if you are a fleet, a local fleet operating in and out of those zones, and Bristol's a, a classic example of this, it's a highly congested city, but with very few options to add more public transport. You know, it's a, it's an older city. You can't widen many roads because you've been knocking down ancient buildings the bus system isn't as good as it perhaps could be. So there's discussions around whether we create some kind of tram or underground, tens of billions of pounds, not in our lifetime, you, me and that. It's, again, it's how do fleets navigate their way through all of that when we are in a situation where we don't have absolute clarity of what is going to happen and when. Yeah, and, I, you know, obviously... Down in Bristol in the West Country, there's there's a predominance of tractors as well, and, and I can I can say that, ladies and gentlemen, because I too am from Bristol and I've lived there most of my life, um, and we do still point at cars as well. So I think Bristol is a really interesting one because they've been under they've been under pressure for some time, and I think it's fair to say that they are the only one that have really done anything different. So a lot of cities have copied the London model. So I think it's fair to say there's a there's there's two types of clean air zone. One is a restriction and one is a charge. So some are an out and out, out and out bans, so you, your your vehicle is unwelcome. If you come into the city, you are simply going to be fined. And then there are restrictions where you know. So 
I can come in, but I have to pay for the privilege. And we've seen, so Leeds has introduced one type, and again, again, there's complications in terms of the categories of vehicles in the clean air zone. So the framework is there, and it was published from TFL and some of their thinking, Transport for London, and the government have, have consulted with local authorities. But I think Bristol is the first one that's done anything that's really out there. That that out-and-out ban or proposed out-and-out ban between nine and three, so people can get to work and people can get home from work. So that's quite a sensible thing to do. But that out-and-out ban on diesels is something that we haven't seen anywhere else in the country. And if that's ratified by central government, I think the proposal's for 2021, mm-hmm. is it? then that will be the first of its type. Uh, and you will simply not be able to drive in the city centre between those hours in a diesel vehicle. And it's not about taxes, it's not about... It, it's about everybody, which is interesting. And I guess the challenge then is... Once again, as fleet managers, as policy setters, as you know, people consulting with their customers and guiding them, what happens if I've got a populace that some of them going to Leeds, some of them going to London, some of them Bristol, in Birmingham? What does all that look like? Which vehicle should I go for? Back to our EVs, mm. the one thing that we can say with some certainty is EVs are going to be exempt pretty much the country over. If you're driving an electric vehicle, you're not going to be charged, you're not going to be restricted in terms of your travel. Um, so again, that, that message, that joined up thinking about driving that move to EV is absolutely from the top, which I, th- which I think is really interesting. And I think for, for some fleets, they may have not put this on the back burner as much, but looking at the vehicles that are targeted, they typically will not be current fleet vehicles because current fleet vehicles will by and large be Euro 6 and moving forwards and are being renewed every three, four years. So that cycle of change puts most fleets outside of the the Mm -hmm. target of vehicles. But clearly with Bristol taking that no diesel in a certain time... Doesn't say Euro 6. That's... Says no diesel. Exactly. That's no diesel. So, you know, that's a real shift in terms Mm. of fleets that, that do have vehicles operating in in those zones and saying right how does that change my strategy moving forward and looking at renewal patterns and future profiles particularly if you are heavily geographically located in somewhere like Bristol and whether any of those other cities follow suit will be be interesting but but it absolutely just means you need to accelerate that transition across to EVs over the next couple of years. What's interesting as well from a technological point of view so we'll we'll, we'll mentioned the telematics um, uh, word which it can be can be welcome or, or, or you know demonized depending on who you are and actually it doesn't need to be a, a, a big box attached to your car now with big antennas and pucks and, and you, as you know my background was was telematics pre-2005 um, and times have changed you know from an EV perspective if you want to look at who in my fleet is applicable for an EV from the type of journeys that they do where are my fleets heading There are plenty of even apps you can get on your phone now from a telemetry point of view that will help you do that from a data perspective up to very, very simple devices um, that simply plug into a USB port or or a charger in the vehicle and just sit in the vehicle. So GPS technology has come a long way. And of course, full-blown telemetry systems that then give you vehicle information around what's going on in the engine, you know, not just about miles and speeding, etc., but lots and lots of other things. But just to get a little GPS puck to look at what is my fleet doing and how is my fleet behaving is very, very simple now. And I'd encourage people to 
to look at that to help because it can be daunting you know answering the question if i've got a fleet of you know even 100 drivers which of my drivers is applicable for an ev some drivers are going to hate evs and tell you that they don't want one and spoof their data and give you all sorts of weird mileage data it doesn't need to be complicated you you can you can look at that fairly easily and understand exactly what's happening i think that's probably one of our most important points is to from today is around that data and that management of data and i think that may be one of the reasons why some fleets have have not been able to take that step to ev is that missing mileage data so people will have mileage data but it tends to be you know a couple of times a year or reliant upon expenses that may not be easy to extract and, and maybe wrong and maybe wrong <laughs> and if you don't have more accurate in terms of telematics data that's a real challenge and if you can't model using fairly accurate mileage data it makes your life a lot more difficult so being able to recognize what data you have now and if you've got a gap what tools are out there that are readily available, easily accessible, could be pulled into other internal systems. It's not going to cost the, the earth is to absolutely take advantage of that now. And again, it's part of that EV readiness is, OK, if I've got a gap in data, how do I plug that gap? And that's obviously that's something that Lease Plan can help with as well. But that will help with EV adoption. It will help with managing your, your CAS zones and all other zones around the country but you know this is the time to recognize that mileage data is is becoming increasingly crucial in being able to manage your fleet cost effectively um, and again thinking about moving away from the one fleet to the fleets within the fleet approach those that do that successfully are those that have a good handle on their mileage data hmm. absolutely i think and, and you yourself have looked after a very major fleet for many years and, and have got that first-hand experience of, you know, how do I get to some of this information? You know, we operate an expenses system internally, as most people do. You you can't just rely on that expenses system to, to give you the level of information that you need, or indeed asking your employees. You know, we've, we know first-hand experience that if you ask your employees, you know, what mileage are you doing, which portion of that is to and from the office, what's commute, what isn't, immediately employees tend to get quite suspicious when employers start asking them difficult questions. They immediately think something's going to get removed or something dodgy is going on behind the scenes. And very often what you're just trying to do is ascertain, in our case, how many charge points we're going to need in the office. You know, how often do you come to the office? But the mileage data that, that, that we got back wasn't great. So we need to do some further work with that in, in, and have done in terms of that thinking. So, I mean, it's been a huge year in 2019. It's just, and I cannot, I can't believe that we're through it already. It seems like only yesterday that the New Year chimes rang for 2019 and, and an awful lot's happened. But we should probably think about 2020. So a lot of we've talked about is ongoing. Um, 2019 doesn't feel like a year when stuff got finished it feels like a year when a lot of things got started and people started getting really serious about things, EVs in particular. I don't think, if I go back two years, I was probably having, I don't know, maybe 20% of the conversations I was having would include a conversation about EVs and the environment and sustainability. I don't think I've had a single conversation this year that hasn't led with that. Um, I don't know about you and your discussions, but certainly from my perspective and internally and the, the kind of engagement that we both do externally and in the media, it's been all EVs. And it's a real shift from people 
acknowledging that EVs are out there to people saying, okay, what do I need to do? I, I want to start. I'm keen to start. Or they're under pressure to start um, and recognising that it's here, it's now, and that they can take that first step. I've seen a real shift in the strategies and approaches that people are taking of of not just saying, I've now electrified my fleet, but a real shift in strategy to say, how do my employees need to move around? How do we function as a business? And what are the vehicular tools that we need? So you see an increased uptake of e-cargo bikes and that real broad expansion of different sorts of vehicles used by um, particularly logistics and those sorts of companies. But taking that step back and saying, what is it that we need to do? What is our purpose? And therefore, what sorts of vehicles? Rather than just in previous years, it's I've got these small vans, cars, bigger vans, they're now electric or we've got that plan. And we start to see that filter through into other fleets as well as saying, okay, we need to get electric vehicles, but actually what do we have on the side in terms of the wider mobility requirement and what does the future look like for that? I think in the UK we've got that unique challenge because of our infrastructure. Um, We do need more support from government in helping some of those initiatives, but that is something that, you know, now we're getting to grips with EV, it's mobility is the next thing that we're going to try to get our arms around and identify what we can do to help people in understanding that, yes, they will have a vehicle that's provided by the company, but there might be other things that are tagged on the side. Yeah, and I think the infrastructure piece, not, not I mean, the inf- interesting, isn't it? We talk about, we're quite fond in the UK sometimes, and sometimes our European colleagues head scratch a bit when we talk about, well, this challenge is unique to the UK, or you know, this is a UK specific issue. We should recognise that we do have probably the most complex, certainly from a company car perspective, taxation system in the world, bar none, um, in terms of all of those pushes and pulls. We also have one of the oldest electricity networks in the country. So, you know, it's when when we were looking at the project from a European perspective, our electric vehicle project and electric vehicle initiative, our European colleagues would sometimes scratch their heads as to why we couldn't standardise on a 22 kilowatt charger for home. Well, we don't have three-phase power. So some of, you know, we only have two-phase, which restricts you to 7.2. So some of these very... Um, straightforward, critical things are very, very specific in in people's thinking. So if you think that a 7.2 kilowatt charger is going to take, what, 12 hours to charge a 90 kilowatt Tesla S battery, you know, some of those logistical challenges need to be considered as well. The fact that, am I going to walk out to a full battery? Probably not. It's going to be three quarters full, but that's okay, because I can trickle charge, I can do something else with it. And, I, and again, you know, that that continues into 2020. But we should recognise that we're sat here today, we have a government with a substantial majority. They are now talking about a tax-cutting budget. We should remain confident that with the environmental stance that all the parties took, which was that was welcome in this election, that some of the things that are in the existing draft finance bill will continue. But we should probably think about some of the other areas for next year as well. So WLTP continues. Let's not go back to worldwide harmonised light vehicle testing procedures. I think we've done enough. Um, and if you do want more detail on it, you can listen to the previous Fleet Navigator podcasts, which are still valid. But we should also start to think about what else is being promised. So road to zero. So the government are committing this road to zero official target, achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 202050. Do you think that's enough? No. 
absolutely not. Um, and it, it was interesting that the, their Conservative manifesto, their length of time was much, much further out than mm-hmm. most of the others. Um, it will be interesting to see what stance they take going forward, what pressure the wider world brings um but we know that we are facing fundamental change so regardless of what government says now we know that we need to accelerate our fleet transition across to evs so i would say don't wait to see whether it's 2050 2040 2035 or or whatever um those dates i think are only going to to come forward so it you know it's get on with it it's interesting, isn't it? Because we, we talk about 2050, so we ourselves are talking about 2030 um, for, for our own net zero targets. And, and again, you know, that date, that date may come forward because we've seen, you know, with, with Greta Thunberg, um, who incidentally is just one uh, Times Person of the Year, which is I think is fantastic. Um, despite some of the slightly derogatory comments from a certain president, but hey-ho, can't have everything. Um, and we've seen it from Climate Earth that we've got 11 years. You, you know, we, we genuinely have 11 years to do something from an environmental perspective before it's too late. I was listening to a, a very good interview, funnily enough, with someone from NASA who now consults um, from an environmental perspective, and he was saying that actually if we can put a man on the moon within nine years of saying we're, we're going to put a man on the moon, it's going to be that kind of thinking and that kind of coming together to do something about climate change that says it's going to be that global leadership that says we have to do something and it's going to take that kind of investment and, and that kind of funding. But we should all, from an individual perspective, whether it's putting solar panels on our roofs, trying to make the switch to hybrids, electric as individuals, doing it as fleets, as organisations, as corporations, we should all be doing everything we can now to to make that switch and take our environmental credentials and and, um, corporate social responsibility seriously and we've got the the opportunity to do so now there's there's nothing standing in our way and yes some people's transition will take longer because of the nature of their journeys and you know if people are doing higher mileage or carrying around more equipment because of that supply issue in the very short term but that doesn't mean that you should do nothing it's again as we said earlier it's get ready and Mm. do everything that you can to get ready as quickly as possible recognizing that that could take you six months to even be ready to press the button on the first ev order for for your fleet if that's the case but don't hold back don't sit back recognize what you can do get your ev readiness plan up and running as quickly as possible and and start looking forwards to the time when you can do a switch Mm. And what I think was was also positive in in the Tory manifesto, again we'll we'll see because this must go through finance, but it must get voted through. But they promised a billion for rapid charges. There's something in the manifesto about no driver will be more than 30 miles from 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 a rapid charger. So infrastructure upgrades aside, which is always the challenge, is can the chargers take it? That's a very strong commitment to the public access charging side. Interestingly, there's also a pledge for an EV gigafactory in there, but they're remaining very tight-lipped as to whether that was Elon Musk's gigafactory, which has obviously gone to Germany now, um, which again was that decision around an uncertainty around Brexit, or whether that's something else, but that remains to be seen. But again, we should welcome at every opportunity, and, and, and people will doubt, and people will look and say, well, will it come to pass, and will it be a commitment, was it just a manifesto pledge? 
we should treat anything like that as, as a positive that, that that investment is there. Not to mention the £300 million pound, you know, infrast- general infrastructure investment fund that is that is still there. There are projects such as Optimise Prime that are ongoing that are looking at where we should be spending the money. So rather than just saying, well, actually, let's send a billion on rapid charges, there are projects out there that say, well, before you do that, let's see what people's behaviours actually are let's make sure we're investing in the right product in the right way in the right areas rather than just saying we need a hundred thousand charges in the uk so i think you know i think that's very very positive what about what about roads what are we doing about pothole funds oh the ongoing nightmare <laughs> and it's winter now so everybody starts to notice the potholes and if i had my first horrible pothole experience last year where i lost a tire to a particularly vicious pothole and it's yeah it is a nightmare being stranded on the side of the m4 at five o'clock on a friday night waiting to be towed away um but yes they've committed a 28.8 billion investment so that's an enormous amount of money huge i mean it would be delightful if we do address our potholing issue less likely to appear in the future I'm not entirely sure what that means. So whether they're going to start using different products, and because there there was a lot of R and D around how you physically fill in a pothole, so that six weeks later, all of the time that doesn't spit out and it just reappears. We seem to have that problem with potholes being filled, and they only last a a couple of months or a few months. We've probably wasted quite a lot of money in fixing short term and not long term. Um, I saw an article the other day around some R&D in using plastics so where we're looking to find multiple ways of using all the plastic that we recycle um, in using that for, for roads as well so I'm hoping that some of that enormous investment goes into alternative methods other than tarmac um, of using some recycled materials to, to try and plug the hole well that's very good I mean depending on what you read of course we're all going to be driving connected autonomous flying vehicles by by yeah. 2030 so obviously that's going to make potholes a thing of the past I've I, you know I've genuinely seen that as, as a piece and I think connected autonomous is interesting because again Boris is is Mr Johnson my apologies is very well um, trailed as, as, as wanting to be leaders in the field in autonomous in technology and depending on who you talk to connected yeah all very well autonomous i still think that's a very very major challenge for us i hear five years i hear 10 years i would say at least 10 years would be my personal view because if it was you know if if we were a country whose infrastructure was simply enabling road trains up and down a, a highway that's one thing but when you think about inner city central london villages and all of the things that can happen to a vehicle i think that the, the challenges are, are pretty extreme but again that 28 billion i mean huge amount of money that's that that is an awful lot of potholes um and, and infrastructure but it, it's interesting isn't it because it says strategic and local roads could that potentially be a fund to look at road tolling who knows but you know we've uh, we, we we should we should trail the fact that we will be returning to these subjects in the new year so this is a look back at last year and a, and a look forward in some ways to next year um and if 2019 was a a turbulent year for us uh, in the UK and, and, a, and a year of um, starting things, of, of, of ideas, of moving things forward, then I think 2020, I think we will start to see a year of some settling down of some challenges, certain latter part of the year. 
and certainly a year of, of I would say, getting things done. Um, not to not to quote anybody in particular. So I think it's probably now time just to say cheerio to people, wish people happy Christmas. So it's uh, it's goodbye from from me at uh, the Fleet Navigator podcast, Caroline. No, thank you, Matt. I'd, I'd echo all of those points. I think it's um, it's a year to look forward to, a year of moving forwards rather than so much firefighting that we've done this year. Hmm. So we'll um, we'll say we'll say bye for now, and we will pick up with you in the new year with the next episodes of the Fleet Navigator podcast. Thank you very much.